Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 201. Hey, me and the Nerdist boys are going to be in Boston, Massachusetts, May the 4th at the Wilbur Theater. Go to Nerdist.com slash calendar to get tickets for that. Also, Los Angeles on June 2nd. Go to Nerdist.com slash calendar for that. So come on down to LA Live, Club Nokia, and see us perform there, the Nerdist Podcast Live. Come, we will dole out hugs liberally. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Amazon.com. Not the Amazon jungle. That'd be weird. <laughs> just, just a little image campaign for the Amazon jungle. Hey, tropical climate. Pouring rain. Insects that'll devour you whole. Come to the Amazon. Actually, if you go to if you go to the Nerdist.com website and go to the post for this podcast, there's a there's a decorative Amazon banner at the bottom of the page. If you click on that, you just shop as you normally would, and then you support the Nerdist podcast. So just buy stuff through us. And support the Nerdist podcast. This is a very special episode of the Nerdist podcast. Here's a guy that I've wanted to be on the show forever, and schedule wise, we were just never able to make it work out. And finally, we got him, Seth Green, a fantastic dude. Such a great guy. Just nice and laid back. Dare I say, chill. But a good, good dude and uh, someone who has been working for nerd rights for a long time now. Perhaps you've heard of Robot Chicken. Uh, he's also an avid, avid, avid uh, action figure collector. And super, super, super smart. And I just... You know, he's a guy that really blazed a trail doing the kind of things that he wanted to do, you know, in in, in tandem with having a successful acting career. So I, it was a real honor to have him on, and uh, and this was a super fun episode. So here we go, the Nerds Podcast, number 201, with Seth Green. Now entering Nerdist.com. friends at the end of the bar and then all of a sudden I realized all the chairs were up and the guys were still serving yeah we did our show uh, we did our show in Atlanta and we got out of there by the time we got done with signings and everything it was like two in the morning we're I started recording by the way we just start loose so just yeah just say swear pull that no you swear a lot um get a closer yeah you need to get a little closer so this would be mine that's perfect and then Michael you can be on that one yeah um and you should be able to pull that a little bit closer okay there you go so yeah, so we were in Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if I have any others. Are there oh, yeah, there's another set of headphones. Oh, is there no, there's no, here, I'll, I'll give you these. I use my, we'll just use our normal ears. That, sure. <laughs> yeah. I think they work. What? Nature gave us our own headphones. Yeah. Some people like headphones, some people don't. I like them. If God had intended us to have supersonic hearing, well, then he would have given us mutant powers. <laughs> I just like it with respect to recording, because then I can hear exactly where I am in relation to the microphone. Exactly. Jonah Ray, we finished our Atlanta show. Um, the show ended at about 11 o'clock, and by the time we got done with the signings and everything, it was about 2 in the morning. Which I don't like, because it doesn't mean, it means I can't go out afterwards. I'm so sorry, but you did go out afterwards. Yeah, I went and uh, hung out with uh, Ian from Turf War. 
and then you did not go to bed, and you just got on your plane the next day. Yeah, I went to the, I went back to the hotel to get my stuff. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Seth has been working ridiculous hours yeah. on the 19 things he's doing. You know, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> and you can't, you know, and the thing is, when people go, oh my God, you're so busy, it must be awful, and then you go... No, no, no. I'm in the entertainment business. Yeah. I know what it's like to not have things to do, and I much prefer this. Yeah, and I've also like known people that have to break up concrete on the street as their job. So I, it's not that hard for me. I'm yeah. just tired. Yeah. They just got bigger arms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's also, it's, I mean, it, it, does, it does require a lot of mental energy. That's that's the hardest thing that I've been putting forth these days is the mental energy, because <laughs> uh, I've been directing uh, our special, the the DC special, mm -hmm. at the same time that we're starting up our animation studio, at the same time that my wife and I moved into a house and are unpacking and spreading out, at the same time that I'm building, like a, a place in New York, at the same time that we're making that show with George Lucas, yep, at the same time. That we're writing our sixth season. <laughs> Your nose is bleeding. At the same time that I'm doing Family Guy, so it's just it's just a lot. Like my brain is taxed. It it is like it. Taxed. Do you get those? Do you get those things at the end of the day where at like ten o'clock at night you can't see straight and it's like your brain feels like it's in a gyroscope. There have been points where my partner Matt will be saying something to me and it's like six o'clock and I know we still got another hour or two at the shop. And uh, he'll be like, <laughs> and I'll just, I won't answer for a second. And I'll go, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. It's tough also, like you, like you said, you're married. And like to be able to be like just mentally available to your uh, partner yeah. at the end of the day, like after working is like, is, that's another hard part. Well, I feel really lucky in that regard, just because my wife does the same thing that I do. She, she acts and produces stuff. So it makes it... Um, easier for us to relate and also she does on camera stuff so if like i'm acting in something i've had you know typically you have a debate with your your girlfriend or your wife if you uh have to do like an on-camera kissing scene mm -hmm. uh, but my wife does plenty of on-camera kissing scenes with like hunky dudes so she doesn't care about the kissing <laughs> scenes. <laughs> she doesn't care about the kissing scenes that I'm doing. Both because she knows the way I think about it. Like I don't think about it like, oh, I'm get, getting a free cheating today at work. It's right. more just like, nah, it's nothing. Mm. We're working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's awkward when there's a lot of people staring around, and you. It's like if you get too into it, it's like, oh, creeper. Can get, it can get really awkward. I had to do a lot of naked stuff on Buffy, and we always had like a full crew. Oh yes, people, of, of course, people. of course, yeah. of course. Because you're a werewolf. I was a werewolf. We did a bunch of uh, changebacks in Griffith Park, and so I'm like in a micro dance belt out <laughs> in the fucking woods. <laughs> That's always the day that people want to visit. They always want to visit. I loved Buffy so much. Me too. Yeah. Oh Buffy. my god. I just saw uh, Sarah like an hour, a half hour ago. Oh really? Yeah. Because she came did. She ask about us. She did. She yeah. said, "Tell me about Chris Hardwick." I'm sure she did. Well, you know, I get, I've been getting all these emails from her. Like, oh, that's, <laughs> it's not true. Uh, Sarah, who by the way is still not on Twitter, uh, said to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> How was Buffy? I mean, like, because you, you came in partway through yeah. the series. Um, well, I, it was. I, it was. I got to be uh, in the end of the first season, like the back nine of the first season was when I first came on. So the show didn't have, I mean, it wasn't like super popular at the time, but it, it had already started finding its voice. Yeah. It was already like well, well into what it was about. I think the show, uh, I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen Buffy, and I assume most of the people listening to this podcast have, <laughs> but it really, 
I mean, that's a show that really started to expand the boundaries of of open mindedness, like like you know Willow's relationship. Uh, it was a lot. It was a lot of things because um, uh, just the how unabashed it was in its like geeky celebration, and and also, you know, prior to Josh doing that show, the only newspeak that had really been available in pop culture came from Heather's. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of all of the stuff that Joss did that was so revolutionary at the time has just been, you know, casually adopted into pop culture. All the ways that he had characters speak and, you know, sort of narrate themselves and postscript their own dialogue. Like that's that's all Joss Whedon. I think I think for me, uh growing up as a as the way that I did, just we've had these conversations before, the just growing up nerdy kid, awkward, that it was Super satisfying, and I don't know if most people even think of Buffy this way, but the fact that he basically forced a hot, popular girl into being a nerd on the show, <laughs> and like he basically forced her into the nerd world, yeah. which was what happened to Buffy Summers, like that was so fucking satisfying to me. And then watching her force other characters, you know, to do to do the same thing. It's the natural cultural evolution. You know, the archetypes of the Breakfast Club don't exist in the same way because the Breakfast Club was made and brought attention to those archetypes. So people started to expand their minds beyond that, just being categorized so completely. And, you know, uh, Buffy did a similar thing, just pushing forward the way that people thought about a person who looked or who looked a certain way or liked a certain thing. Yeah. The uh, I, I I don't know how I feel about a Buffy movie without Joss attached to it. That's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that either. I guess it'd kind of be like watching the GI Joe movie. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You mean just not watching it? Well, it just has nothing. It doesn't really have anything to do with GI Joe per se. It just has some of the same character names. And by the way, the original Buffy movie still holds up. Like the Christy Swanson, Luke I Perry still, movie. I still like that movie. Paul Rubens. Rubens. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Like the vision is slightly different. To- uh, totally different. It's more of the Adam West Batman version of Batman. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it was uh, Paul Rubens. I think it was his first movie after, uh, like, you know, the blowout. Right. Yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. He's great. And he was phenomenal in that movie. Yeah. He was hilarious. Also I've great never, in Blow. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him not be awesome, though. He's, he's like even in Batman Returns, he's awesome. Oh, as uh, the Penguin's father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Cobblepot. You know that might have been that might have been before Buffy, right? I think I don't know. Yeah, that was before Buffy. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. what year that was. I was only like sixteen. I had to be like seventeen when we did that. You, uh, we we had this conversation off the podcast, but so I'll ignite it. Wait, just... can I just say this before we get too deep into it? That sure. I am doing the Nerdist podcast, and it yes, finally I'm so excited that you're finally <laughs> well, on the show. We've been talking about it for a couple years. I feel like I've had to chase you guys down. When I was at uh, no! San Diego last year, you had <laughs> one of your representatives on the uh, the girls versus girls panel, right? And uh, and I called her out on it too. I was like, "What's up with me never being on the podcast?" I, you know, there's some. <laughs> I've never heard about that. You yeah, know yeah. what's funny is that there are some people like when we had Patton Patton Oswald on. Finally, he was like, "I thought you didn't want me on because you didn't ask me before." And I was like, "I assumed you were too busy, so yeah. I didn't want to bug you." That's what my close friends say too when they don't invite me to like go out or parties or stuff. They're like, "Oh, we just figured you're working twelve to sixteen hours, so I just guess I didn't even tell you that we were all going to see a girl with a dragon tattoo." There's yeah. a de- there's a very delicate line with this thing where you want to ask your friends to do it or people that you know, but you don't want to. I feel like 
everyone get at, gets asked to do like podcasts or whatever totally. now, and everyone gets asked to do like, hey Seth, can you be in my short film? Hey Seth, can you yeah. direct this? Hey Seth, can you do this? Can yeah. I? Do? And so I just I, I hate. Do, I just do it all. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> everyone that says I'm like sure, yeah, what? No, your your friend's homeless person is t- making a short on his iPhone. I'll be in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you. Just, I just hate. I just don't want to be a guy that puts a burden on people that I'm friends with. Like, oh, I gotta do this other thing now. So totally. the, it it was it was more chalked up to that than anything else. Well, this, I feel like we're all into the same stuff. And as the new model evolves in media, I think it's important for the people that actually sincerely love types of content to s- stick together and continue to make it. Well, and you also, you know, especially with Robot Chicken, have been, you know, uh, along with South Park and The Simpsons and just always on the forefront of Ooh, satirizing like, pop culture. I like hearing our names together. That's well, it's, <laughs> it's true. I mean, like, it's 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 just that idea of, of, of taking pop culture and and sort of flipping it and fucking with it and presenting it in a different way and, well, I, and I, finding comedy in that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming similar to you, I realized there was only so much value in standing in the street and shaking your fist in defiance at all the things <laughs> that you don't like about the world instead of actually getting in a position where you can make things and have an opportunity to be influential. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do is just like show people those there's alternatives to crappy content. And I think people <laughs> I think I think people like I think because you've been in the business for so long that I think people kind of like seeing that evolution and go, oh, all the stuff I thought about this one guy, he actually does all of this other stuff that I never would have I would think I would think that there'd be that uh, breadth of distance where someone has the time to absorb you in, in, a, in your career. But all I've really noticed is that people have shorter and shorter memories and uh, shorter attention spans. And people who are like 15 or 16 right now, they they're not even aware of the fact that I acted in movies like they just think that I make cartoons. That is that is kind of weird, that but weird. that's also that, that's that's a weird testament to how long. It's my own fault, though. I just haven't. I should have. I should be making movies, guys. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Basic cable. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> making this, making. This. No, actually, I know exactly what I'm doing because every day when I when I have a really important meeting with like ten or twelve gathered heads of department, and I'm explaining in detail the difference between the 1982 Snake Eyes and the 1984 Snake Eyes, and how critical that's going to be for this. <laughs> I just have to laugh. They don't. They're like, no, no, that's great. Just the, do it. The best part about it is they are all intently listening and taking notes. And then we go get those toys and shoot. Shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even, I can't, like, how, how, how the fuck could I complain when I play with toys all day? But, you know, you and I know that you are an avid toy collector. And I know you, you have an insane action figure collection. Well, doubled when uh, Miss Claire Grant and I got married and combined our toy collections. That was a sweet story that we had dinner uh, like a, a few weeks ago. And you, the, the story of when you when you guys started dating and then you saw her toy collection, you're like, oh, this is... Yeah. Well, she knew before I did and then she held her tongue. Like She came to my house and saw my toys and was like, oh, this is going to be really funny if you ever come over to my house. And then the second I came over to her house, which was like two months into us hanging out, she had so much awesome stuff arranged on shelves, and but they she she don't know how to pose toys really well. <laughs> she she blamed the balance, which is why she always buys statues. Okay. Whereas I spent my entire childhood learning how to symmetrically balance toys so that they would stand up no matter how flimsy they were. Yeah. Um. So I was like, so as soon as I come to her house, this is, I'm like, hey, would it be cool if I pose, repose some of your toys. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is like a nerd version of Queer Eye. Like, yeah. we're going to go in and repose your toys. Yeah. And I can't help but notice this tableau you've created yeah. is lacking a little sincere emotion. Yeah. It's just a bit more OCD. Just, ah, uh, oh, ah. Uh. She seems to be leaning uh, back on her right foot, and that just, yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. So, uh, well, we're going to be late for dinner. We really got to get going. Well, yeah, then, 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 you just me. put Magneto to his feet. <laughs> you, put, you actually did put magnets in people's, in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the feet, yeah. right? You modded them with magnets. Yes, so that, so that when there's an earthquake, they don't fall down. And so that if people come over to your house and want to pose your stuff, they don't feel intimidated by it. Are you okay with people touching your figurines when they come over? Yeah, that's kind of the whole point. Like, toys were really meant to be played with. That's my, that's my motto. And I stopped buying stuff about 10 years ago unless I was going to open it. Because I'd gotten so crazy with the keeping stuff in boxes. And it's just not... Because mm. it just becomes just boxes stacked after up. A while. Well, then, you know, you put them in a UV protection. You lock them in a cabinet somewhere. And unless you're ever going to display it yeah. or trade it or sell it, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? You're bu- you're building that uh, you're building that uh, that vault at the end of National Treasure well, that I, no one ever sees yeah. for hundreds of years. But I had a lot of stuff that was packed up in its original packaging that I never got to look at, and I thought, why am why am I buying this if I'm never going to see it mm-hmm. or hold it or like touch it? What's yeah, the, the, guy, the guys from Fatal Farm that like do a lot of awesome stuff. I love like, the Fatal Farm guys. When uh, sometimes when they need some extra money to make something, uh, Zach, one of the guys, uh, sells one of his old GI Joes. And that's what they use to fund stuff. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, Fatal like Farm that, did those. It's like that uh, Mark Hamill episode of Amazing Stories. Oh, yes, yes, yes. This gnome, yes, this gnome appears when he's a kid, and he's like, oh, there's treasure in your room. Hold on to it." So he basically just abandons his entire life, and just he's just this traveling. He's just like has this. Uh, this snail shell of old toys, oh, and he wow. sees, he's he's like a crazy old guy. And then finally, at the end of his life, someone's like, hey, is that a 1952 ray gun or whatever? And then he ends up becoming this. I mean, the lesson I took away was like, yeah, but he was like 80 by the time that paid <laughs> off. <laughs> like, he can't even enjoy it. But uh, well, if you look at a guy like Stan Lee, who got that Spider-Man check when he was in his 80s, oh. it seemed to have paid off. I guess yeah. I guess it does. I mean, we say that now, like, no, I would want that Spider-Man check now. But if you're 80, you're still going to appreciate the Spider-Man check. I mean, mm. Stan Lee has a spring in his step since that movie hit that really? <laughs> is unrivaled by by his other accomplishments. Yeah, it probably extended his life just with just you know having that money. Well, and also, how nice for for somebody that spent so much of his life being told that what he did would never be as important or as relevant or as financially successful as some of the other uh, potential vocations, to literally be able to thumb your nose at everybody who told you that and be like, well, I'm quite rich now. (laughs) The ones that are still alive. Unfortunately, (laughs) all the rest of them passed away. (laughs) I will dance on their graves. (laughs) I will buy their graves, dig them up, (laughs) shit solid gold into their graves on their remains and cover it back up with pee. Lest those grave robbers be tempted by the gold, I'll collect the gold. <laughs> <laughs> Excelsior! Love, would you? Would you I be? Love him so much. He's amazing. He's the most. Uh, I I love I love the balance that he plays between. I mean, it's he gets how relevant he is, yeah. but he's still self-deprecating, and so. Yeah. But it's just that way that it's. The balance back and forth of, why would anyone want to talk to me? All I did was change film. <laughs> <laughs> He's so fucking awesome. I, I was walking in He's New York at the last Comic-Con. I was like walking down the street and I saw like an old sharply dressed man walking like the other way. I was like, I remember just being like, 
that guy looks great. The old, awesome, rad, sharply dressed old dude. And then, like, it gets close. I was like, oh, it's Stan Lee. Oh. He's sharp as fuck, too. He's like, cool. He's, he just looks like a cool guy. He yeah, is. Doesn't miss a beat. Would you be Would you be okay as, you know, like, hitting it when you were 80 or, like, I mean, if that happened? You know, I, I remember when Kevin Spacey won an Oscar for American Beauty. And part of his speech was saying how everyone told him his entire life as a character actor that he really wouldn't be successful until he was in his 40s. And so I've just always thought of myself as like a Stanley Tucci or a David Strathairn. I've the always Tooch. thought of myself, you know what I mean? I've always thought of myself as more of a, a Paul Giamatti. I thought I, I never thought of myself as a Tom Cruise or a Brad Pitt. I'm just not that kind of actor. That's not it's just not what I do. So um, I feel like I, I hope that I'll always be able to to act for the rest of my life, regardless of what age I am. And I, I hope that I'll always be able to make somewhat of a living doing that but i'm definitely stacking the deck in my favor by building shows that can be on television well also the 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 fun thing about building something is that you're you know very very few actors will ever really live beyond their actual lifespans like it's really that you know 0.01 percent of actors will be handed down from generation to generation and be remembered but building a thing that you're building and you know hopefully a thing that i'm building it's sort of like it's almost like a weird child that will live beyond you and is bigger than you. And that's that's sort of the, the fun of it. Yeah, I don't know that I'm I mean, I don't know that I'm anywhere near like legacy at, at this point. But I I work really hard and I, and I put my heart into everything that I do. And, and I hope that when people look back at the work that I've done, that at least they could take a, take that away. Yeah. Well, and you're also still really young, so <laughs> it's not like it's not like you're about to check out now. Like no. you, you still got plenty. You have decades. Know, you I've got been, decades. I know, but I've been listening to that Blueprint three, and when Jay Z's talking about <laughs> having ten number one records, and he's right, you know, I feel like yeah. I'm just slacking. Like I'm just not. I'm just not up to speed. That's the hard thing about listening to music these days. You're like, wow, this is a great record, and you're like, how are these guys? Oh, 20? Fuck this record. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that band. <laughs> Fuck their youth. The kinky wizards. Well, yeah. no, one, yeah. no one could say that Jay-Z hasn't put in his time. He's definitely been slugging it away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and just the fact, I mean, he is one of those weird sort of prodigies where he's like, I've never written down lyrics. Like, what? What do you mean you've never written down lyrics? Well, yeah. it, like, he does notebook stuff, but when he records, it's all from memory. Yeah. Which is banana. Have you ever seen that Fade to Black, that uh, the, the documentary video that they do? Yeah, when he uh, hears the beat and his, you see his eyes light up. But there's also that awesome moment because he's recording that record with Rick Rubin. And I think it's Mike D from the Beastie Boys comes in because he and Rubin are old buddies. And just watching Rick explain to Mike D, like, you got to watch this guy. And seeing Jay-Z see Mike D, there's something amazing there because you wouldn't think all those guys are the same thing. Yeah. But watching them all meet each other was like really inspiring. That's really cool. Like the Laugh Olympics of rap. <laughs> just like... <laughs> Just like the challenge of the Super Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Spanning the galaxies. Oh. That was Ted Knight. I know that. Uh. that yeah, I got uh, Kevin Shinnick, who does, uh, he does Mad now. Yeah. Um, he, he wrote for us and does a bunch of voices for us. He did all the announcing for the RCDC special. Oh, really? Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of like a coked up Ted Knight. Like they call him in, you know. He has no idea what he's talking about. Exactly. Well, Black Vulcan. <laughs> Aquaman summons a nearby school of narwhals. Oh, Meanwhile, yeah. at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> Lou, oh, Lou, Mary. <laughs> I love Ted Knight. 
I love Ted Knight. And there's a guy who didn't really hit it till later in life either. Too close for comfort. Yeah. Mary Tyler Moore. Like, that guy was in his yeah. 50s by the time he hit. Oh, yeah, I guess so, huh? And then Caddyshack and Too Close for Comfort yeah. and, you know, that, that that whole thing. It just goes to show you it's the role and the timing. Yeah. It's always that. My dad always said to me uh, when I first started out in this business, he was like, look, don't be discouraged. Buddy Epson didn't make it till he was 55 on Beverly Hillbillies. I'm like... Dad, that's like 35 years. That's not comforting. <laughs> by, by the time I would be successful at 55, I'll probably be too bitter. Mm. But I think what happens is, look, my career is full of holes, uh, full of failure holes. <laughs> and I think any manner of success that I've achieved now, I am so grateful. And so when people say, like, why would you stay two and a half hours, three hours after mm. a show and sign things? I'm like, because I remember when I didn't, yeah. when that yeah. was not an option. And it, I am thankful there is that. I mean, there's that too much too soon argument with a lot of folks. There, there's so much pressure when you're a young person to evolve in a particular direction really quickly, you know. And I remember when I was young, my reading level was impressive because I was so young. And they're like, oh, you can read and you're only like five. But as soon as you get to be like 20, people are like, wow, you're reading like a five-year-old? <laughs> like yeah, still reading your, the same books. Yeah. All of your accomplishments don't seem as much when you get to college. It's like you're just getting by. Yo, you motherfuckers read that Pat the Bunny? <laughs> oh, no, we've, we've moved on. I'm, ev I'm evolving. <laughs> yeah. But how did you feel, what did it feel like growing up? In the business, do you did 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 you go through kind of like a young dickhead period, or were you always oh, pretty no. well adjusted? Yeah, no, no, I, young dickhead period for sure. <laughs> it, it was uh, there was a, a hard transition for me uh, from doing radio days to um, between uh, between radio days and like uh, Stephen King's It, mm -hmm. where I had grown a little bit and didn't look the same as I did. And was a little bit older, and there just weren't the same kinds of roles available to me. I wasn't quite tall enough. I wasn't quite cute enough. I wasn't quite strange enough or weird enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like right in this nebulous place, and I didn't work for a solid year, which was miserable. And I just grew my hair out as long as I could. Started listening to Guns N' Roses and just hating people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I, I, I got lucky again, you know, and found, like, the right mix of things and... I've been, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate. I hustle, man. I never, you know what I mean? Moss doesn't collect under me. Right. And were you, you must be a good auditioner. Do you, do you work hard on auditions? I, I do. Uh, I do. But it's never, it's almost never about how hard you work. It's whether or not you're the thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's the, that's the only way to live as an actor, really, is to kind of recognize that even if you're great, even if you killed it, you put all your time and all your thought in, if you're just not right for the part, you're not going to get it, and that's not your fault. Yeah, right. you got to yeah. get rid of the fantasy of them seeing you and going, you know what? We were wrong about what was in our heads. You well, are it. I mean, not to say that that doesn't happen. The I did this show for Stephen Bochco called The Birds of Paradise, where it was written as like a kid that could become a surfer. They wanted like a handsome, tall kid, and uh, I had hair down to my shoulders and was just strange enough. And then they cast Timothy Busfield, which just like edged the whole thing towards me because I had hair. <laughs> Timothy Buzzfield. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. I, I grew up. I was born and raised in Hawaii, and I remember that. Oh. That show was a big deal. Where'd you? Where? And Kailua. Kailua. Yeah, yeah. I love Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. It's, we it's were great. we were on Oahu for six months, um, and I never really got off that island. I just traveled all around that island. Yeah, you shot a lot in like Waimanalo too. I yeah, remember. Yeah, same the Jurassic Park Valley. And all yeah, that. exactly. Yep. It was. Oh, I love Hawaii. And then where? How did? How did the? Uh, 
how did Austin Powers figure into all of it? Did you know Mike Myers? Did you have a previous relationship, or you just auditioned yep. for it and I got just, it? I mean, I auditioned. I was actually in San Diego doing uh, American Buffalo the summer that uh, they were casting that. And I think the fact that I couldn't go in on the regular auditions helped me get that part. Because they had seen a bunch of people and didn't, didn't feel like they had hit it. And were told that I couldn't come in because I was out of town doing a play. And then I, I like, squeezed in at 6 o'clock one night. And... Uh, they just liked it. But I think it was that like up against the wall and running out of time and options. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that because I was doing a play and working so hard on dramatic detail that I approached that character in a way that I don't think other people did. Right. I played it like a drama and I thought that was going to be hilariously funny. The more dramatic and serious and wounded and bitter <laughs> Scott Evil is... <laughs> The funnier it is that Dr. Evil is like, yeah. and the more I'm like dead serious, like you have been gone my entire life and I have been <laughs> raised without a father. Like, do you understand what that does to the identity of a young man? Do you even know how much you've hurt me? And I just played it. <laughs> like everything was just so pained. I can yeah. just imagine the auditions for that of everyone. I can see the bad auditions of playing the comedy and like, too big. Ooh. Yeah. I, I'm, it's thank, thank goodness for David Mamet. <laughs> <laughs> he contributed to Austin Powers. That's the only reason. Well, and I told this story before too, but I got offered uh, uh, Carrot Top's chairman of the board and uh, Mike Myers, Austin Powers in the same day. And I had to weigh those decisions. And you got to bear in mind at the time, Carrot Top had not made a movie. He was just this rising uh, comic. Boy, that could have gone another direction. Yeah. Super, super popular, like right to the point where they're like, the studios are like, hey, let's make a Carrot Top movie. You know what I mean? And at that point, Wayne's World had been off for quite a few years. It was worse than that because uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer came out and underperformed. Right. And so people were not high on Mike. So Mike took that deal around to like every studio in town and nobody would make that movie. And he wound up getting like a partial finance deal at New Line. I think it was partial. I can't remember how it worked, but New Line was the only company that would sign to it. And it was a very low budget movie. Mm -hmm. And it didn't perform in uh, theaters. It performed on, on DVD. It, it topped out at like 50 million in theaters, but then went on to make so much money on the, on the growing DVD market, that burgeoning market. Yeah. Um, but I had both of those movies on the same day. And I was like, oh, Jesus, what do I do here? What do I do? And I ultimately just thought that Mike's character was better like the character that i got to play was a better character well i think that worked out pretty well so far so good yeah <laughs> I, I loved it when uh corny thorn smith was on uh conan o'brien with uh norm mcdonald and she was promoting it's one of the best things ever it's uh, she's promoting chairman of the board and like and like norm has just been making fun of everything all night and she's like he's like he's like all right shut up norm all right corny what's uh what's your movie called she's all it's called chairman of the board and then he looks over at uh norm, he's like you got anything for that he's all is it Chairman of the board, board spelled B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's, he's magical. Yeah. <laughs> he's like the best talk show guest. He's, he's brilliant. I, I loved his uh, Weekend Update, his SNL. Yeah. I still think Dirty Work is, uh, is a good movie. It's a little underrated. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's got a lot of really funny stuff <laughs> yes, in it. And that's all it is. It's just a bunch of parts. It's just a collection of like randomly insane stuff. Yeah. Yeah, just I, I just like to have have uh, uh, floppy body dummies thrown from window yeah. to window. <laughs> <laughs> Saga directed that. Yeah, Saga directed it. Yeah, Norm. Norm. You got Dave Keckner with the, the tr all the trunks full of dead whores. It's <laughs> it's like jam packed full of people. 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to I have to watch that again. I haven't I don't think I actually I still have it on VHS if you want to borrow it. I don't have a VHS player. No, whatever. (laughs) I can't believe you you've moved on. I did, I moved on. I really thought you guys were never gonna break up. Uh, Well, yeah, VHS and I. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff that's not making it over to DVD, let alone Blu-ray. There's a lot of old like 80s slasher schlock stuff that will just get lost in time. It's true. What are we gonna do with our laser discs? Oh, what are we going to do with our Criterion Collection giant plate <laughs> laser discs? Well, all that, I mean, all the DVD stuff I've just put onto hard drives now. My wife and I have been steadily just burning all our DVDs to, to hard drive. And we'll probably keep discs of ones that are really important, and we're just going to get rid of all the rest. Yeah, I mean, I, I have I have boxes of CDs in storage that I have literally not opened in probably that, eight years. I think yeah. this is how it happens, though. This is the consolidation of culture to m- moving away from paper. Like every civilization that's fallen before us, they always hypothesize that they might have had things like electricity or any kind of technology. We even find you know examples of that all over the world and archaeological recoveries. But I think it's in this in this moment where we are feeding towards a digital age and sort of eradicating the notion of paper and files and keeping tangible things that in a hundred years from now like there'd just be none of it yeah. well and maybe maybe when the singularity happens maybe it's not us getting off this planet as a species in physical form maybe it's literally us uploading ourselves into some sort of a digital consciousness that we can lawnmower man if- <laughs> let me and love lawnmower, man. I don't give a Did shit you what just you drop said. a Jeff Fahey bomb? He dropped yes, a I Jeff did. Fahey bomb. I fucking love lawnmower, man. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, Jeff Fahey. Have you read Job, the- Job, I want, to, uh, I want to perform some experiments on you, Job. That, that's Pierce Brosnan do, trying to do an American accent. <laughs> Have you guys ever read that, the book, the short story that that's based on? No. Yeah, the Stephen King. Yeah. The Stephen King one is not about virtual reality. <laughs> it's about a man in coveralls that eats lawns. <laughs> What? You don't remember. This is an actual book. It's in the... Maybe I didn't read this. I think it's in Night Shift. It's in the... Is that a... Is, the, is Night Shift one of the Bachman books, or did he release no, that no, as... No, that was... No, Night Shift, Four Night Times Shift, Midnight was a Bachman. Night Shift was the anthology... The anthology, that, anthology that collection, Cat's right. Eye. Right, yeah. Cat's Eye, yes. Yeah. Of course. But Bachman books... Well, Bachman books is those four stories, of one of which is The Hunger Games, P.S. The Running Man. The Running Man is The Hunger Games. Right. Pretty much, or Battle Royale. Battle we always Royale. go back to Battle Royale. I've been, I've been, the, the, my, my joke lately has been, are you guys going to go see White Battle Royale? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been saying, are you going to go see The Running Man with teenagers? But everyone thinks <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> which is which is really different from the book for those that don't know my favorite part of the movie though was fucking Richard Dawson was so awesome when you movie. had sex with Richard Dawson what? yeah I fucked Richard Dawson <laughs> survey says boner well, he was kissing everyone else I just slipped it to him I mean it, I, it was easy to get in there everyone it, everyone listening to this right now is is like who? No, they know. People have seen Running Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even if we talk about Family Feud, people would be like, you mean the Louis Anderson show? <laughs> Do you mean uh, who's hosting it? Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey Steve now. Harvey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, yeah. where I get all my fine quality suits made. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that Steve Harvey, like... Who told him that he was a Dick Tracy villain and had to wear these weird purple suits? He's really into swing. He's really into he swing. Loves it, yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd say something about it, except that he has a suit outlet. Like, he runs an He really does, yeah. Yeah. And he sells the hell out of them, so he is a, clearly there's a market. He is a good businessman, that Steve Harvey. He is man, he's another one of those guys that it's, I mean, I feel like... I feel like we're all, even though it's different audiences, we're all sort of doing the same thing of finding different ways to, like, you know, he did radio and now he's a family feud and he has a, like, he has a pretty stable business, that Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey is neck and neck with Ryan Seacrest. They're right there. (laughs) 
They are right there they together. Are building the same empire, just in different sections of the world. Someday they'll sections have to the battle. <laughs> <laughs> they are building their different sections of the city. Doesn't that doesn't doesn't the Seacrest axiom just give us all hope? Like we all have to kind of stand back and admire how much Ryan has accomplished. Because I've known Ryan since like early Kiss FM. The the the, the Ryan model is is the perfect um, confluence of a guy who is willing to work super hard and do whatever he has to do and strategize and then just, you know, like American Idol could have happened to anybody, but the fact that it happened to him and then he fucking blew that up into a bunch of other stuff is mind-boggling. Yeah, it's Brian awesome. Dunkelman can be as big as Ryan Seacrest could if he be, just yeah. held on. Yeah, But Dunkelman didn't think that talent show on TV thing was going anywhere. No. <laughs> Ryan slammed Dunkelman. Dunkelman had the same approach to American Idol that I would have had, which is kind of Me the... Me too. This, would, is, yeah. this is fucking <laughs> dumb. Yeah. He wasn't wrong. wrong. He, wasn't he was wrong. not wrong, was wrong at all. Ryan, Ryan, it's like RuPaul. RuPaul saw that that uh, that void in the yeah. world, stepped in and said, I will be this. Fast. I will be that guy. And, yeah. You know, Dick Clark, was, Dick Clark was literally on the wane, and Ryan stepped in there and is doing the Dick Clark thing. Yeah. I mean, it was the... the, the astrology of it is just like right guy, right job, right age, right time. Like yeah. that's, but, but it's, it's always interesting to see, you know, the sort of, um, the, the, the correct mindset. And then the, cause anyone can get lucky. Anyone can catch a break, but, but it, it's but what you can do with it. It's, it is that it's taking advantage of the opportunities around you. And, and I, I think his, I think his heart's in the right place, even though I disagree with some of the, the content he's putting out. Sure. Um, but that's only but but he's he's feeding this beast. Yeah. Know? I mean all the, the, the market is there. Yeah. All of the all the reality shows that he's producing, all the stuff that he's helped create, the market is there in spades. You know? He is doing something interesting now with ABC though, some like Paley's he's gonna start televising Paley Center stuff. Oh awesome. So that's maybe he's gonna, you know I, I root for him. I mean, not like he needs me as a cheerleader, but I <laughs> he he is such a hard worker and like I really believe his heart's in the right place. Yeah, yeah I mean and, and it, it is it is, you know, I I'm on the same page with you as like I don't really I don't watch the content, but I but I watch the sort of I watch what's happening and I'm like, God damn it, that's oh good that's brilliant. God <laughs> damn it. Cause I, I still, you know, now for me one of my 18 years in the business and I still don't feel like I've had that show that has put everything over the top. Like whatever I have has just been cobbled together by whatever I can build myself. It's actually always that though. Like that's the one thing that I've learned from doing this as long as I have and really paying attention to the career paths of other people around me, be they successful or, or whether they hit uh, stumbles along the way. It's, it's that you never really get the touchdown dance. You never really get to like, you know, spike the ball and... That's the Jason pose. Robart speech from Parenthood. I love you for knowing. That. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so you much never for spike the ball. It's you. always a marathon. Yes. Friends yes. slow down. They even stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, I love that speech. Well, first of all, that movie yeah. is full of so many axioms and gems that are like, oh, I fucking love it. That, uh, it's one but, of my favorites. But yeah. that, yeah, one in, that one in particular of... It gives you a little bit of... It gives you a little bit of comfort in it. A, a weird, a weird little bit of comfort, yeah. and you know. And how many times have you? Sometimes you really have to stop to force yourself to look at your surroundings. You know, especially you're working t 13, 14 hour days, and I'm working 13, 14 hour days, and it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia of oh, the thing didn't work out, and I can't believe it. And then sometimes you really have to stop and go, wait a minute, I am animating toys yeah. successfully. 
uh, it's not so bad. Well, it's not just that. We call all kinds of actors, uh, both ones that we know and ones that we don't, that we just like, and they're interested in the same thing that, that I am. They just want to come in and have fun and perform. They just yeah. want to play around. You know, so we get to meet people that we would never get to meet under other circumstances. We've created something where everyone can play along. And that, that I'm really proud of. And it's also, even this new generation of media is very analogous to our parents' generation of work in the sense where our parents and grandparents are like, work's not fun. Work is a thing you do that you hate. And then you go home and you know, spend a little bit of time with your kids and try not to take out your frustrations on them. And then and then our generation kind of started to see like, no, work is a thing that can be fun that you enjoy and you pursue things you're passionate about. And now media is catching up with that. We actually have outlets to make shows and content about things we love rather than the old model of, well, I just have to take any job because I'm a working performer and that's, I don't have a choice. Well, and it's also that there's a celebration of minutia in a way that there wasn't before even though guys like Andy Warhol predicted things like reality television he said in the future every human being will have their 15 minutes sure, of fame of course. no matter how inane or or unimportant their job or life may seem to someone else yeah well and we're all it, it it's and then there's an interesting challenge though and because because everyone is quote unquote famous because of the web it, everyone does a thing everyone makes a thing it's yeah. like it's 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 a fun interesting challenge a game really to try to find how to how to rise above well, the, the noise. There's always that moment on American Idol where everyone realizes that the cute person they've been rooting for who's spunky and maybe not quite as strong a performer as the other ones, that's, it's, you get that emperor's no clothes moments where you're like, well, if we're going to pay someone to, you know, 30 to $60 to see them in concert, $120 to see them in concert, all across the country, they better be a good singer. Right. They better put on a good show. Yeah. You know, I mean, when people go and see... Uh, Britney Spears put in a lackluster performance. Everyone's upset and disappointed, no matter how much they were, you know, the the cub favorite right. uh, among the bullpen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, um, wait. The going back to the 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 no uh, touchdown dance. I have seen just over the course of my career other people whose careers I thought were awesome see them get bent out of shape by their own competition. You know what I mean? The movie that uh, Jim Carrey and Tom Cruise and Will Smith all want only goes to one of them. Mm -hmm. And one of them, the other two are like mad about it and kicking <laughs> themselves like, haven't I earned it at this yeah. point to just do what I want? And the truth is, you don't. You just get your opportunities and when you, you, and you make your own opportunities. But when you get them, you crush them. And that's what, that's what keeps you, that's what keeps you going. Well, how yeah. do you, how do you... What's what's the sort of underlying philosophy behind like how you crush stuff like when you have that opportunity? How do you just fucking wrap yourself around it and go? <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna. You know, dude. There's no substitute for hard work. Like anybody can tell you, people that people that get it easy, it doesn't it doesn't always have the same staying power. Right. You know, um, when I get an acting job, it's usually because I've worked really hard to get it, um, and then I work my ass off when I'm on it. Like I'm energetic i'm in shape i know my lines I, I look clean you know what i mean right um i've practiced it i've thought about it i've i've made decisions i've researched it i've i've i've, I've gotten there on purpose you know what i mean and then i just do everything i can that's so consistent with success and, and it's funny that um you know sometimes when people are like what do you what do you do like even i just said what do you do but the truth of the matter is there's no magic formula it's just you just <laughs> 
You just have to work hard. Hard you can see, time. I mean, you can see the path in retrospect. You look back and say, oh, this led to this that led to this. But in those moments, there is nothing, there's nothing that supersedes the, the strength of your work ethic. And also, you know, I don't think it's necessarily I, – I, I used to think that um, – and maybe this is an old model of, of entertainment of like, well, that one job just tips everything. And then after a while, you kind of go – Nah, it's really the total of all of the stuff, and that's what does it, rather than, you know, like, it, the, 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 the I just got to Hollywood, I just got a show, and now my whole life has changed. That pretty much never happens anymore. It, I mean, it, it just happens in different ways. Like, I, I've known plenty of kids. Uh, Topher Grace is one of those guys who the very first job he got was the 70s show. Oh, it was for Ashton Kutcher, too. Yeah, and, and, you know, those are both guys who've taken advantage of that significant moment and grown it into something more significant. Did you see his cut of the... I did. Oh, my gosh. I'm one of the people that got to see it. Yes. I got invited to it, and then I had to go out of town, and I couldn't see it. Um, it's neat. Like, it's really neat what he did. Um, and you can't say one is better or worse, and he was still bound by the footage that was shot. But what he did was, um, for, for anybody that doesn't know, Topher Grace did an, uh, a mysterious secret edit of the prequels of Star Wars and consolidated them into one 80-plus-minute film. Um, and so you lose a ton. There's so many things that are extracted from that story that I actually thought were cool and fun to watch that I, that, um, I liked. I was happy were in those prequels. But what he does is hyper-focus on the Anakin story, uh, the Anakin rise to Vader story. And it's just streamlined. Everything that doesn't, that isn't directly connected to that is, is extracted from the movie. Is, that how, is there any way for people to see that? I don't think he's ever going to screen it again. He said he, he legally can't ever show it publicly um, and he can't really claim credit from it because he doesn't want to do any disservice or insult to George Lucas. Right. He, he doesn't, like his, he, he took great pains to make a speech in front that said this was just sort of a flight of fancy for him, an experiment of editorial for him um, as opposed to, you know, a scathing uh, um, um, uh, condemnation of mm -hmm. the prequels. It was more, I'll bet you could cut a lot of stuff out and still <laughs> tell the same story. Right. Yeah. Well, I, uh, but I can't, I'm only, I'm only like assuming his motives. I, I can't speak for him. Uh, and you've, we're, we're, we're doing stuff with Lucas, but you've been working with Lucas for years. And yeah. was that, did you just get their attention because of the stuff that you were doing a robot chicken? And then they were like, Oh, Hey, this guy actually yeah. is, uh, I mean, that's exactly how it happened. Tracy Canobio hilariously named. Canobio, <laughs> come on. She was, uh, uh, in uh, PR for Lucasfilm and, uh, their department saw our emperor phone call. And reached out to us and invited us to come visit. And apparently they do that a lot of times. Like, Yeah, I got a call from Margiotowitz. <laughs> yeah. You're ridiculous. No, but they do that whenever they see when, – when, when artists do stuff, when, pe when fans make things, you know, if it's, if it's of a certain quality, then they'll review it. And, you know, George has hired artists that interpreted Star Wars that he really liked their bootleg interpretation, hired them to do stuff for the company. You know, they, they, they're so much more inviting and collaborative than people – assume because there's they're such a big and um presented as a as a you know shrouded in mystery and um you know legally uh, uh like highly litigious which they which they are but only in effort to defend the copyrights that they've paid so much to establish yeah uh it's that i got to go to skywalker ranch once and it was fucking amazing i mean it was every bit as amazing as i had hoped it would be and it's less like a big nerd experience than just the most beautiful place you've ever been to like don't you love that that's what he does with his money is build a picturesque ranch for people to work on yeah it's amazing you can't see 
any building, which by the way, the buildings are all these beautiful like craftsman houses. Yeah, they don't look like buildings. They just look like homes. And you can't see any structure from any other structure. And no main roads. Like mm. you're buried in the valley. So it's as if the roads don't exist. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's just all, it's just all landscape. Mm. Um, He's just preserved the land. He uses it for farmland, ranches on it, cattle and stuff. It's awesome. I did, I did think of that maybe it would be a good place to be in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I told him. I told him, dude, if this shit goes down, I'm going to land a helicopter <laughs> on the baseball field, and I want to hole up in the tunnels, because I know he's got tunnels. <laughs> were you, when you first met him, were you, I've never met him, but were you, was that one of those situations where you're like, be cool, don't freak out? Yeah, I met, I mean, I met him like six times before I got a handle on how to not act like a, a retard. Like, I, that's, that's probably the worst word I could have chosen, but <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I just, I didn't, yeah, it took me a while, a couple of times to meet him before I, I stopped saying stupid things to him, um, just because I, I was at such a loss of what to say, and I forgot that there's a human being on the other side of my uh, adoration. Yeah. And that was where, that was where the breakthrough happened, was when I realized that he, that we actually had a lot more in common than I would have presumed. He's a filmmaker, he's a, you know... Uh, history and uh, travel enthusiast. He appreciates food and <laughs> loves architecture and likes movies and TV and things like that. So I tried, I made a conscious effort. Um, I got invited by MTV to, with, with Topher, as a matter of fact, to walk George around the archives on camera uh, at the Revenge of the Sith uh, Skywalker premiere. So I knew that I was going to be talking to him and I, I had to kind of change my approach. Um, and so that's what I did. I just approached him as a professional as opposed to as, as a fan, asked him about the junket that he'd been doing because I knew he'd been doing an inter international junket for the movie at that point. And I had just done a junket for something and we commiserated about how difficult it is. And I was like, oh, what was the question? What's the one question? Because they always ask one question over and over and over again. No matter how smart or prepared all the journalists think they are, they all key into exactly the same thing and ask you exactly the same question. Um, and he, he had something. I can't remember even what it was now, but... Then I asked him what he wanted the interview to be and what we would talk about. I told him it's going to be really easy. I take care of him. It was going to be fun. And don't even worry about the cameras. We'll just talk about stuff. Um, and I talked less to him about Star Wars than I did just about the advancement of digital technology and the difference between making the first movies and these movies and what that meant for him as a filmmaker. And was he excited to do anything past this now that all this is done, now that his world's obligation to create Star Wars is essentially finished if he wants it to be? What does he really want to do? Um, and that meeting just went so well. What did he say? Um, he just said he wants to make a bunch of small experimental films that no one ever sees. Snuff films. And that's what I said. I said I want to be a part of that. Sci-fi snuff films. Yeah. <laughs> Wookie dissections, that sort of thing. Yeah, you you yeah. can take the other approach of just pretending you don't know who he is. So st Star, that's, Star Wars. That's what, that's what actually happened to Matt Senreich's wife because uh, she just didn't recognize him. Really? She's really unplugged from pop culture. She's uh, she's a uh, uh, what's what's the correct word? She's a a shut-in. No, 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 no. A she's hermit. A, she's a therapist, but uh, not quite a psychiatrist. Is she a psychiatrist? A psychotherapist? I don't think she prescribes. That's the that's psychologist the is the one that is just the I, I counselor. Ca counselor, but she's she's really successful. So I'm I'm probably just doing her a disservice. <laughs> but she she met George uh, backstage. She's at, a, uh, an emotional he, escort. No, no, no. When he did the Paley Center thing for Young Indy, Matt and I got invited to that, and they got there early and were hanging out in the back room with him. And she was like, "So what do you do to George?" And he was like, "I make I make movies. This is actually my night." <laughs> oh, what's a movie? That's great. Mm. Well, it's movie. like a series of moving pictures. 
Yeah. Is that like a Viewmaster, but sped up really no. fast? Well, just about it's, 24 it's, yeah. frames. And you just have to, like, really fast, you have yeah, to do the Viewmaster. Like, really. like 24 per second. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy, yeah. We got to go into the... Um, to the the archives where they keep all the original everything yeah. and they're like hands in the pockets and uh and it was i mean i i can't even it's just one of those moments where you're like i can't, I, I, I shouldn't i can't believe i shouldn't be here i can't believe i'm here it's overwhelming and exciting to be close to the filmmaking magic that created something that's so significant and important to to any of us seeing the original yoda was more impactful to me than any famous person i've ever i've ever seen in person in my entire yeah. life i got to hold the gun that luke pulls on jabba that he steals from the skiff guard uh, <laughs> that drops him into the rancor pit oh my god touch that gun it's my, wow. favorite. It's my favorite gun Ugh, so amazing <laughs> so now you uh, what, what else are you doing with the, what's on the horizon for Lucasfilm and you guys uh, well you know I can't talk about that um, we're, make, we're making a show everybody knows that much yeah. it's, it's animated everybody knows that much uh, and it's and it's all George's idea everybody knows that much too so <laughs> <laughs> those are the things that I can say well there goes our in-depth interview Chris I damn know. it Oh, I, I guess we got to take exclusive off the ad for this episode. I'll okay, okay. Uh, Seth, <laughs> if you were hypothetically to do a show with George Lucas, what uh, would that be? Well, I would have to say it would be... Oh, wait a second. Yes! Uh, you guys almost I got, got you. That's that gotcha journalism Chris is famous for. Yeah, damn it, Chris. They never think of it when you put it into the hypothetical. <laughs> they don't know. But you're working on a bunch of other stuff as well. Number one, you're doing the sequel to Saber. Yes, with uh, with Claire with yes. Saber. If you haven't seen online, is this is the, like the lightsaber axe body spray parody ad? Which is funny. When Claire and I met, she was putting that whole thing together, and they shot it uh, within the first couple of weeks of us like knowing each other and hanging out. And then I they entered in that Adam uh, um, uh, Star Wars fan film awards, and I wound up presenting them one of their fan film awards. They won two fan film awards: uh, best the the uh, audience award yep. and also best action. Were you dating at that point? We were dating at the time that I got to give her the award, but not while they were making it. Well, if people didn't know that, that would have been a, that would have been so amazing. We're like, congratulations, and you just fucking make out with her. <laughs> kind of like, oh my god, yeah. to, what is happening? She looked cute that night too. She was wearing a Gryffindor tie. Oh, yeah. I have a Gryffindor tie too. Me too. They're cuter on girls though. I've got a Ravenclaw tie. Yeah, I, I yeah the Ravenclaw, the blue one. Yeah, the blue one's pretty. I, you know, I always say That's like more low profile though. It is. I always say like I want to be a Gryffindor, but I think I probably would have been sorted into Ravenclaw. I, I, I kind of like the Ravenclaws. I would have been Ravenclaw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's just I think Ravenclaw. I just get more. I just get a nerdier vibe from Ravenclaw than the Gryffindors. They're like the the Depeche Mode fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys going to go to the Ravenclaw Black Celebration uh, theme party? Uh -huh, I guess. You guys going to the rave later? Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> Raven Rave. <laughs> 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 People are just like aiming their wands and casting ecstasy spells on their tongues. Just That's actually a really. I was just. I, my brain's not working fast enough to do that. Cadmus extremists. <laughs> <laughs> there must be that fan fiction out there somewhere. That there was must be that, that was the fiction. most disturbing thing about my time at Buffy was it was the beginning of the internet when everyone was on message boards and so message boards led to postings but there wasn't a lot of interactivity on it. And the first time I read, like, Oz fan fiction, I was horrified. <laughs> that was my introduction to fan fiction, was, like, Oz pulls this throbbing, massive, 
Wolf Wiener. And I was just like, <laughs> Wiener? Wolf yeah. Wiener? That totally just, oh, that, yeah, that, totally, that, just that really kind of takes the edge yeah. uh, off of Wolf. His yeah. steaming, throbbing, wolfing, dingle doodle. <laughs> yeah, you lost me again. I just said. <laughs> you, you had me until dingle doodle. Yeah. Spike's ancient sexy. vampire pee pee. No. <laughs> well, so wait to, to get get us back on track. I uh, so we made we made a sequel to Saber. The girls wanted to do a follow up to that, I which you to, directed. I got to direct it, which is really funny. I I you know everyone will see it in a couple of days if I have my math right. Um, We're putting that on Nerdist, I believe. Yes. 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 It premieres on, on the Nerdist channel. Thank you, Peter. YouTube.com/slash/Nerdist. <laughs> Thanks, Peter Levin. Uh, but but I'm super excited that you that you guys are. I mean, I just I I. I I want to find more stuff to do with you. Yeah. I well, mean, because even, even though you have 100 jobs. No, but that's kind of my philosophy, man. And, and what I like the most is just gathering up people that I feel are out to make the same kind of stuff and making stuff together. I yeah. think that's really the best. I, I don't... I, I don't know, man. I I grew. I came from nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we were like low middle class, struggling, and Philly. You were from Philly. Yeah. I don't want to make us out to be like poor or anything. We got by. My family. My family worked, but we didn't have like excesses or niceties. And the fact that I get to make a living just hanging out with my friends and making stuff that makes us all laugh and smile, I think, is pretty incredible. This is like previous generations. I don't think could even really. I almost feel like if I were, if I'd been in a previous gener, born in a previous generation, like if I were eighty now, I'd be really fucking bitter. Like, what do you mean you can just do stuff you like? I lift barrels for thirty five years. There's a little bit of that. Like my friends and I made stuff on our video camera, and we did like reel to reel editing and like in camera music sound. You know, sound yeah, yeah, plug it in the end. But, yeah. We didn't have any outlet for it. We didn't have the tools available to us. Kids can do. There's a uh, there's an app. Uh, that uh, JJ put out that makes oh, the, the car the special effects app. You have like your own yeah. green screen. And, and it, it looks, looks really fucking, fucking great. Good. It looks amazing. So, yeah. I, you know, I can't be bitter about the stuff that I didn't have. I'm just excited for the generations coming up behind us because I think it'll push them further forward than we were ever able to get. That's what I'm interested in seeing. So by the time this goes up, Saber 2 will have already premiered, so you can see it, you well, can I think see it online. Be, it, we're, this is around, this is like the beginning of May, right? Right. We're going to put it in time for May the 4th for... For all the Star Wars. May the fourth be with you. Exactly. And then, so that you're working on that, and then you can talk about your Cartoon Network thing now, right? Uh, I believe so. Well, the Robot Chicken DC Comics special, which should be coming out this summer. <laughs> <laughs> um, Look for it. It's it's all the stuff that we loved about DC Comics. It's it's interplay between the DC Comics universe and a lot of the Super Friends and Legion of Doom motif. Um, this is the the episode where uh, Aquaman, uh, furious by having been consistently abused over all the time uh, that he served with the, the Justice League, he decides to join the Legion of Doom. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's <laughs> bitter. You're welcome. <laughs> and then Show Dog is something as uh, your, well, your business get, partner, Michael Rinsler. Is Michael Rinsler, who I actually knew from uh, uh, Jack's Pacific, I don't know if... And, uh, well, before that, even, even Playmate, before. Playmates Toys, oh my gosh, I forgot friends from the toy too. business about we knew 10 the, years now. Michael Rinsler has joined the podcast. He's been there the whole time, I but have. now he's joining By it as far way, as you're now concerned. Now I know my ADD can't be that bad because I've never stayed quiet for so long. <laughs> that was I'm shaking over here in the corner. <laughs> well, so, be, you know, I get, I get different opportunities uh, to be a part of things, uh, both from an investment standpoint and from like a publicity standpoint. And the, the thing that Michael has been putting together... Uh, is a technology that just made so much sense to me. It seemed like exactly... I, I can't believe no one else has done it because it's so relevant and practical. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> explain know how it. Let me let it. me jump in and explain a little. So essentially, we have a technology that allows any type of smartphone to wirelessly send any type of content to any second web-enabled device. So I know so that that's fan- that's fancy speak for you can send video from a phone to a laptop to a tablet and any kind of smart TV. This is crazy. Well, no, Surely yeah. this this technology has existed before. Well, hear me out on this. So the way that Apple TV works is it's like an integrated platform yeah. that's based on its own um, uh, its it, it, its own software. It's a walled garden. Exactly. You can only do things from your iPhone to your iPad to your Apple TV. And what this does is it's a it's a it's a, a platform agnostic program that allows anyone to interface with any uh, enabled device. And all you need to do to enable the device is to download the app. That's great. And it's completely portable. So eventually, you know, we think that people should be able to watch whatever content they want, you know, whenever and wherever and however they want to watch it. So ShowDog enables that. So in the next few years, you should be able to, you know, watch Robot Chicken on your way home from work. Get home from work, push a button on your phone. Only if you're going home on a train or bus and not yeah. driving. No, yeah, exactly. we'll have auto drive systems by then. Yeah. Oh, you know, we probably will. Or Johnny Cabs. <laughs> you're in a Johnny Cab. I used to catch up on Mad Men while sitting in traffic on the way home. Really? Yeah, yeah, I was going like a, I was going real slow. First of all, Mad Men's not a show that you could just casually watch. It's a show that you <laughs> you have to sit down and absorb that show. How do yeah. you watch that in traffic? Just on the dashboard. <laughs> this is this Jesus sounds really dangerous. <laughs> Don't tell kids to do that. Other, other more responsible people will wait till they get home. <laughs> but we, uh, the, the idea uh, of being able to uh, display anything from any device to any other device just is, it's, it's so intuitive. That's exactly what we need. Well, uh, is, this, is Showtalk available now or is it coming? This is on May. F- May does it come first? out in the beginning By of May? May 1st, we should be on both the Android Marketplace and the Apple App Store. How is it developing for Android, where you kind of have to develop for different versions, right? Or do you just... Well, did you... The, the, I mean, the way that it actually works is it, 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 uh, it keeps the content marked by its actual provider. So any of these uh, web distributors that create content, it'll, be, it'll still be embedded. They'll still get the views. Okay. This is just an application that allows the interface. Okay. And it's free. It's a free app. Oh, wow. Awesome. It's great. Yeah, so you can go get content from any place... Get it to your your phone or your PDF or your or your tablet or your device, and then you can beam it wirelessly to any other tablet or device. So you can collect something on your phone, go to your friend's house, enable their TV, and then watch it on their TV. Yeah, and the the coolest part actually is you can create playlists of your favorite videos. So if we have like sets playlist, you know, you then actually, you can share that with all of your friends. Just oh, by so it's a social. A button. Well, it's like you can you can have a party and DJ the TV. Oh, that's awesome. What enables it to play through the TV? Is there it's, it's got to be a web-enabled TV, so okay. the new smart TVs, only like 19 people have them today, but over the next couple of years, it'll be millions and billions. Eventually. Well, you think about, think about just the Wi-Fi growth across this country. Yeah. Well, pretty soon, you know, I'm, I'm hoping within the next five years, there's just a blanket of wireless. There's and, just like a national, in most major metropolitan areas. And, and they, you know, they try to do that in some I cities. Would, I would love that too, but that's city specific, and you're going to fight all the telecom companies that want to tax it. Like we're we're already at the place. If you go to Australia, there's there's tax on telecoms, and you get a certain amount of content, a uh, certain amount of of like uh, megs, same as you do on your on your sure, cell phone yeah. plan. You get that with the internet. So there's like a limit. 
a limit of what you get for your 1990. But what sucks is that even even talking about it in in megs, <laughs> like we because because you know, it's just like streaming and video. Like we need you know the 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 caps that they put on the data plans. Like it's yeah. not hard to get to three gigs. It is really not hard to get to three gigs yeah. in a month at all. Well, that's why I say the real the real money is in banking. <laughs> Banking and real estate. Real estate's gonna come back, you guys. I believe that. But this, but the what got me interested in being a part of this tech was I felt like it's a very forward-thinking thing, and it's the kind of thing that that will work. It just needs uh, people's awareness of it. Yeah, and, and it, it it will. You know, at some point it will tip. You know, if you can get enough people. I mean, the thing is, we still think of this country we, like we. I think we think of ourselves because of where we live as like, no, no, no. America's uh, super tech savvy. Large chunks of it are not at all. Yeah. And they don't ha- have Twitter accounts, and they don't have broadband. I'm not interested in having a device that's separate from my vehicle. That's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's my dad. I still can't get my dad to get a fucking email address. My dad's 70, and he's just like, nah, I, I missed it. And I'm like, you didn't miss it. Nah, I just don't want to. Chris, I like it better when I can take the time to touch a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to write a letter on the piece of paper? No. Nope. Nah. I just like knowing that I took the time. You know, Dad, you, you could, like, the email is like electric paper Chris, that I could get something. Yeah. Chris. What? Chris. What, Dad? Do me a favor. Okay. Polish this ball. Uh, well, you are my father. <laughs> and just stop talking. <laughs> and that was Chris's childhood. <laughs> was polish this bowling ball and stop talking. Oh, we got to get you on the bowling show. That'd be fun. Um, if you, if that, if that for real happens, I'm down for that. Yeah. I'm not a good bowler, Chris. That's fine. It's fun. I'm not a good bowler. I've not been bowling well lately. It's in your blood. Though, but I've been, know. we've recorded a couple episodes and I've been bowling like shit and I'm disappointed because I'm too in my head about being on camera bowling yeah. and it's hard for me to fuck around and bowl. I take it yeah. really seriously. So yeah. You need a, you need a hidden camera. Yeah, that's it was what the I most need. lighthearted I'd ever seen you bowling. I know. Yeah. Usually it's not like the first time I could, like uh, we went bowling just as friends. I realized it wasn't as friends. It was a competition for him, <laughs> and there was like no conversation during the time. See, yeah, I know. I can't talk. So weird. So when I bowl with you, and we did the first episode. I I I bowled like the I bowled the worst game I bowled in probably. 20 years. But we had fun as friends. That was good. That part, that's what I took away <laughs> yeah, from it. that didn't help me sleep. Did your dad call you after? <laughs> no. Hey, Chris, I watched this show. I mean, uh, come on. No, he just a, felt it. A couple of things I'd like to tell you. There was a disturbance in the bowling force. <laughs> yeah. My dad felt it. I woke up and shot the dark. Now he doesn't really care. He's just sort of like, well, what do you expect? You don't practice. You know? It's a, it's a, it, the game is about spares. It's not about strikes, you know? It's, it's, like, a, it's like a short game in golf. Like, it's a, you know, that's... Well, That's where the finesse happens. Isn't that the basic truth of why you succeed? I yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we all go back to that. Oh, how'd you get there? Hard work. Yeah, exactly. I didn't work very hard, and I bowled like shit. And? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to complain about something. I felt like I was more magical than this when I got <laughs> here today. So, uh, Seth Green, is there anything else? You, so you've got um, you've got the, the Super Secret Project with Lucasfilm. You've got uh, Robot Chicken in D.C. You've got Show Dog. You've got Saber 2. Um, what else? Is there anything else that uh, you want people to know about? It's just all busy all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we can. We should tweet each other. Okay. For anyone who's not following. Yeah. Either of us. At Seth Green. Yeah. At Seth Green on the tweets. You know I, me. I put I'm a lot nervous. of thought into that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you came on to Twitter. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Twitter was really uncomfortable. 
That's, under, that's understandable. I was like, hey, Twitter. What are you guys doing? <laughs> How you doing? I heard it was pretty sweet over here. Hey, Twitter. Can hey, you, uh, you bend down and pick up those papers for me? Oh, I gotta yeah, say, Twitter. you look really slim for such a voluminous uh, entity. <laughs> but you're another one of those guys that I... I lo- it's like, you know... Uh, I mean, I can't say that we've been like super great friends over the past 20 years. No, but, but I've literally known you for 20 years. It has been 20 years, yeah. yeah because I've been keenly aware of everything that you do just because we know each other. I've been keenly aware of what you're doing. Hello, Chris. Because you, you were in that same group. It's funny, Neil Patrick Harris was on the podcast this past week, and we talked about my ex-girlfriend, Lisa Raffel, yes. who is in a band called Kill Lola now, which is a super fun band. And, uh, and, and, and Lisa, when we were dating, when I was 22 maybe, was friends with your sister. Oh yeah, and and you were friends. You were kind of in that Brecken Meyer group. Well, Brecken and I like from when he was seventeen. I guess when we were like seventeen was when he and I met. Then we just all had all the friends in common. Yeah, yeah. And so it is. It's always fun for me <clears throat> to see, like, just people go on to sort of do the things that they do in life. And when we were all kids and had no fucking idea what we were doing, and we were all <laughs> scared and sarcastic with each other, and like, it's just, it's, it's. It really is my favorite thing about getting older and like if, if any solace can be taken in the fact that we can't stop the one way train of time yeah. that that I do kind of get pleasure in seeing like, oh, yeah, well, Will Wheaton went on to do this and Seth went on to do yeah. this. And then I went well, on. It's, to this. it's the same thing. Like uh, the time that the time that I've spent with George Lucas, I've become keenly aware of how much it's exactly that with him and like Steven Spielberg and Francis Coppola right. and Ron Howard and Bob Zemeckis. And that's inspiring to me that these guys were just dudes went to school, all into the same stuff, into science and history, reading and into filmmaking, and they've just become these legends in the industry. Like, it, it feels like they were just guys who watched each other from the sidelines and, you know, championed each other's successes, kind of drove each other forward with, yeah. with healthy competition. Healthy competition is so important, not in the, not in the sense, like, some, it, it can go bad really quickly yeah. if people get in their heads about it and it bitter. Can't, it can't be something you take personally. But if you, but, but by seeing what people like you were doing, or, or like Felicia Day, or Will, or all these people. It's like, oh, that's go, possible. Yeah, I'm like, oh, fuck, that's a really good idea. Well, maybe I can do this. Like, it really, you need that, I think, to sort of drive to sort of drive you and move the momentum forward. I think so, too. So it's important. So thank you for doing what you do. and um, Thank you for doing what you do. And I'm glad we've become pals as as of late. And, uh, and then I finally did the fucking podcast. I know. <laughs> finally. <laughs> you know, like five years from now, when I've done it eight or nine times, people will be like, oh, gosh, do you remember... When Seth wouldn't do the podcast. <laughs> Those were, God, I can't even remember a time when it was like that. <laughs> Wait, Michael, is there anything else that we should say about how awesome and valuable and useful Show Dog is? I think you just summed it up well. Perfect. Right on. <laughs> right on. Come download the app. Show Dog is S H O D O double G. Yeah, very easy spelling, I know. And also <laughs> at Show Dog on our Twitter as well. Well, you can't, yeah. you can't, like S H O W D O G is bad SEO. Like you couldn't, if you put that into Google, like so you spelled it the way that you should spell it. Yes, exactly. So we got advice from Snoop. <laughs> <laughs> Always ate a second G. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Set, so, set, so green is G G R E E N, right? I can't even do that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it should be double G R E E N. Seth double G R double E N. Seth double G R E E N. So you did that better than I did. No, you practiced. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 